can't do it. We'll do it live. Okay. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! This is Snowman in the Morning, and it begins now. That's us! Spicy Meatball! Excuse me, bitch! You know what? That makes me mad. I ask myself, is it worth it? I answer myself, yes, yes, it is worth it. Did you not get the memo? Oh, I got a memo to deliver this morning. I've got a memo to deliver this morning. But first, as always, good morning! It's the Wednesday edition of Snowman in the Morning. We are presented by Cleaver Supplements. Pure supplements for when genetics are just not enough. We also are presented by Full Armor Worldwide. If you would like to be a sponsor of this here program, drop an email to snowmanofthemorning at gmail.com. Lots to get to. Michael Green will come at the end of, after the first break. Uh, Seth Cantor will join me for a mic-to-mic conversation involving tales of broadcast and tales of fatherhood. Kelsey Nelson from uh, Listening with KNN on Fox Sports Radio will join me this morning. And Chris Dietz will break down, and I will break down the chaos that is the college football playoffs. Playoffs? Don't no, no, no. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? Okay, here we go. Now, I touched on this so many times over, and I'm going to touch on it again. And I have a message to deliver to Coach Steve Alford. With a little help from uh, YahooSports.com, Sports.com, LeAngelo Ball and his teammates are apparently headed home. Yahoo Sports confirmed that LeAngelo Ball, Jalen Hill, and Cody Riley were leaving China and flying back to Los Angeles Tuesday morning. Wall Street Journal, citing airline employees, first reported that the accused shoplifting basketball players were seen checking into a Delta flight station from Shanghai to LAX. They had spent the previous week under Chinese detention, although most of it occurred at their high-end Hyatt Hotel. The players were arrested for shoplifting last week in Hangzhou, China. They could be back on campus by today. The punishment, by Chinese standards at least, is minimal as they return to America. For that, they, for that, they and the UCLA Bruins may have to put Donald Trump's name in for consideration for Team MVP. Ain't that the truth? Outspoken entrepreneur... And basketball dad LeVar Ball might want to cop the man a pair of his signature Big Baller brand sneakers. Retail $495. Why would he want to do that? I don't know. If nothing else, everyone should thank their good fortune that their outrageously foolish criminal act came in the same week Trump just happened to be visiting the country, allowing him extended direct access to Chinese President Xi Jinping. I hope I said that right. Who Trump claimed he lobbied for leniency. I don't talk politics, but this, ugh. Let me just get to what, I'm not even going to read the quote. Let me just get to what I want to say. Steve Alford, legendary shooter for the Indiana Hoosiers. Played a couple years with the Dallas Mavericks, if I remember correctly. You have a job to do, sir. And that job is to tell these three disgraced UCLA players 
that you recruited but didn't know they were going to do something stupid like this. Quick side note, I hope they get a second chance in life. But they don't deserve a second chance to do this. Steve Alford, your job is simple. Tell these three players to hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more. The president of the, UCM, uh, uh, of the university, you have a job also. Same thing. Tell these three players to hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more. This punishment should be swift, it should be severe, and it should be completed. Before the next game, these three players should not be allowed on campus. They should not be allowed anywhere near campus. LeAngelo Ball, Jalen Hill, and Cody Riley should not be allowed anywhere near basketball activity. Their scholarships should be stripped, and they should be, basketball-wise, put out to pasture. Because you should have enough sense, even when you, I understand that kids do stupid things. I understand that. I am a parent. I understand that. But at the same time, you should know better and have just a little bit of a lick of sense when you're traveling to a foreign country not to try and steal anything. There's more to this ball saga. Lonzo Ball was benched the entire fourth quarter. And I hope he's benched for the rest of the season. Lonzo Ball is a bust. He's not ready for the NBA game. Does he have some skills? Yeah, I'll give him that. But I've said all along, defensively, he's out of sorts. Anybody can bring the ball up, pass, and run to the corner and shoot a three. His jump shot needs a lot of work. But back to LeAngelo Ball and the incident he and the other two players, Jalen Hill and Cody Riley, did. I heard D.L. Hughley say something that is so, so true. I mean, very true. The one thing you don't do as a child is bring shame to your father's name. And yeah, I'm honoring the fathers here. I always do, especially when you're across country uh, international lines. You can say what you want. LeVar Ball finally got a piece of sense knocked into him and decided not to comment any further after first saying it's not this incident's not that big of a deal. Oh, yes, it is. It's a huge deal. It's an absolutely huge deal. You got no business putting your hands or trying to swipe anything when LiAngelo especially, you got enough money from your family, not to mention a scholarship at UCLA to play basketball, which you could do better. And then you go and do this. I'm not even going to get into how stupid it is. If that were me and I brought shame to my father's name that way, I would expect the maximum punishment, which is no more scholarship, no more basketball, no more UCLA. LeVar Ball even said 
that Leangelo doesn't have to play basketball. He's good financially. Well, LeVar Ball, I expect you as a father to prove it. Because I suspect these three players' scholarships are done, gone, finito. And you better thank your lucky stars that Trump intervened. You better thank your lucky stars that leniency was granted. Because had this whole process been allowed to play out the way that it should have played out, they'd still be over in China languishing. And I mean languishing bad. I just hope that the kids involved learn a lesson from this. I also hope it costs them dearly in terms of their scholarship to play basketball. Because there's no way if I were a coach... A, it wouldn't happen on my watch anyway. Now, I understand it's a uh, it's a great opportunity. But you don't disrespect the opportunity. You don't disrespect your team. You don't disrespect your teammates or opponents as y'all are playing in a foreign country. You certainly don't disrespect your coach, and you certainly as God is my witness, disrespect your family. That's the last thing you need to be doing. This is Snowman in the Morning, where true sports talk lives. Next! Excuse me, bitch! Are you kidding me? What? Right now, let me welcome Mike Green to talk some NHL and Chicago Blackhawk hockey. Good morning, Mike. Uh, good morning, sir. I'm worried. Yeah, there's a lot to be worried about, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, man, what's going on in Blackhawk country? Well, it's, it's, you know, some things I've been exposing about since really the start of the season. Mm-hmm. We start against Sunday night um, against New Jersey, who, by the way, is a very good team. Oh, yeah. A 4-1 to one lead. Um, they played a terrific first period. But since the uh, Pittsburgh game opening night, they have not played a 60-minute game all year. They really haven't. Um, defensively, they're just a train wreck in their own zone. I mean, it's just it's uh, turnover after turnover. Giveaway after and giveaway. Of, and if Corey Crawford's not on top of this game, which he was not Sunday, we're going to have a hard time winning. Yeah. Yeah, Corey Crawford's the reason the Blackhawks have have won. But giving up a three-goal lead, nev- I mean, it's happened a lot in the past couple of years, you know, with the Hawks being so so bad defensively. But I never thought they would – give it up in that fashion oh yeah the uh they got problems on their, their d-line core i mean brent seabrook looks like he has lost a step in my opinion yeah um duncan keith is 33 um, seabrook is 32 there's no doubt they missed nicholas Jarmelson. yeah and then what you got back there is just a bunch of young guys that connor murphy and jan ruda who i do like and michael kempney and they uh, our top guys right now aren't, aren't getting it done. I'm just not talking about Seabrook and Keith. Uh, the forwards, I mean, Patrick Kane has almost been invisible. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Jonathan Taze is not scoring. So, and Richard Pack and so forth, so forth. So, our top guys, your, your, your best players have got to be your best players. And right now, that's not happening. Would a line change or a scramble up in the lines be necessary at this point? Well, Quenville's done that the last three or four games. He has changed the lines almost repeat. If you watch the game, he's constantly changing lines, looking for the right combination. And, right. Uh, right now, you know, they did score four goals on Saturday and Sunday night, but, you know, offense has been inconsistent. But the main problem is defensively. If you watch the Hawks and mm-hmm. you understand hockey, they are turning the puck over in the neutral zone way too at many alarming times. rate. Way too many times. And that, oh, it's ridiculous. You know, and then and then in their own zone, they just have a, a terrible time getting it out, making the safe pass out of the zone, begging off the boards, whatever. And it, right now, they've got some issues in their in their own zone. Well, I'm just glad it's November and not April when these issues are are arising. And you're right, Coach Q has flipped the lines, you know, several times in the in the past in, in the past couple of games. But you're also right about this point. Taves and Kane, their captains, they're not getting it done right now. That's frightening when you don't have your two best players that need to be putting the ball in the net. And here's something else I noticed, Mike, and you, I know you've caught this too. When they have chances, they don't shoot the puck. Well, that's something that uh, Pat and Eddie have exposed on a lot. Yeah, they're trying to always make the perfect pass, the perfect play, especially in the power play. Um, they do need to shoot the puck more. I mean, Sunday was the first time they've outshot an opponent really since opening night. I mean, the right. Hawks, and these are two stats you don't want to leave the league in if you want to compete for a Stanley Cup. They've given up the most shots on goal in the league, mm-hmm. and they've given up they've given up the most quality grade-A scoring chances in the league, and they're near the top of the NHL penalty minutes. Ouch. Those are three, those are three stats you don't want to be near the top of the league in. At all. And right now we are. At all. At all, and that's real, and and that that's really frightening, you know. And you've said it so many times, and I've seen it. They're taking entirely too many penalty minutes. Why are they taking so many penalties right now? Well, they're they're getting beaten in their own zone for loose pucks. Uh, you know, Eddie exposed the pilot again on Sunday when he came back to the game Sunday night. The Hawks are constantly defending. They're constantly chasing the puck. They're chasing the game. Mm-hmm. They're not di- they're not dictating the pace like they have in the years past. And when you're spending almost over half the game in your own zone, you're going to take some penalties. Yeah. Because you're constantly defending. And some has got to do with working hard, too. Where a lot of these penalties can be avoided. It's just laziness, a lot of hooking and mm-hmm. holding and stuff like that. But a lot of these penalties can be avoided by getting out of our own zone. Yeah. Yeah, but and that and that team speed that they had once upon a time, it's not it, it that's not there either. That's why they're turning the turning the puck over so much, and it's alarming the way that they're turning well, the puck I, over. Yeah, their team speed has dropped a little bit. They're not as fast as they once were. I mean, our, our core guys are older. I mean, Taze and Kane are in their primes, but I, I don't think there's any doubt that uh, Duncan Keith and uh, Brent Seabrook have lost a step. They played mm-hmm. a lot of hockey. Yeah, they have. Especially the last nine years. They and have. all the minutes those guys played, I don't think there's any doubt. At least to me, it's visible by the eye that you know Keith and Seabrook can't play 30, 35 minutes a game anymore. Um, but we got to get, you know, our young guys have got to contribute. Alex uh, DeBrinket has really stepped up and played well. So mm-hmm. 
our top guys are going to start being our top guys again, or we're going yeah. to continue to struggle. And this is a struggle that's been going on, and you've identified it, Mike, at least um, at least two seasons now. You know, and that's why we were swept by Nashville, a number eight seed in the playoffs last year. These very problems right. that you outlined. Right. We don't get going. We're going to be lucky to be an eighth seed in the playoffs because right now the Blackhawks are not in the playoffs. But I know it's yeah. like November, but you don't want to bury yourself early in the season. These early games are just as important as they are in February, March, and April. You exactly. get behind, it's hard to catch up. It really is. It it really is. Mike Green. On the line to talk some Blackhawk hockey with us. We got more on this loaded show coming up. Before b- b- before you go, what do you think, besides the obvious problems, what's one thing or a couple things you think the Blackhawks can do to flip this thing around and get going again? Well, they've got $5 million in cash space roughly. I think Bowman's going to wait a little bit before he does something. They've got some room now where they can make a move. Mm-hmm. I think somewhere, I, I think somewhere down the line, they got to get a veteran defenseman here that can move the puck. Yeah, because but other than calling up some guys from Rockford, really, it's just our leaders have got to start playing better. Case, Kane, Panic, and so forth. We just need our top guys to be our top guys and get going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's really not much Bowman can do. You know, maybe make a trade to shake up the club. Right. But right now, when you're in mid-November, a lot of teams are not looking to make moves. But uh, if this keeps going much longer, don't be surprised if something happens. I wouldn't be surprised either. Mike Green joining us via the High Q uh, Energy Drink Hotline, talking NHL hockey. You can catch Mike every Wednesday morning at 9:15 Eastern, talking NHL and Chicago Blackhawk hockey. Thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate the time. Look forward to talking to you next week. This is Snowman in the Morning. Where true sports talk lives. Hello, baby. Got a little NHL talk out of the way with Mike Green. Thank you very much, Mike, for coming on this morning, as he does every Wednesday, to talk NHL. And all of our guests appear via the Cleaver Supplements and Q Energy Drink Hotline. Remember, we are streamed live on 3 and Out Radio Network as well as iHeartRadio as well as TuneIn through ArenaSportsNet.com and 3andOutRadio.com. Now, do y'all remember this? Tally, one for three in the game. Righty against lefty. Boulder's a strike away. Robinson comes set. Third base side of the rubber. 0-2. Two Two outs. Robinson set to deal. Pitch on the way. Swing and a big strike three. Well, it has taken four seasons for the Rockland Boulders to climb the Can-Am League Mountain. And finally, on Monday, September 8, 2014, they stand alone at the pinnacle. Ladies and gentlemen, your Rockland Boulders are the 2014 champions of the Canadian American Association of Professional Baseball. Congratulations to the Rockland Boulders winning title number one. The final score, 4-12-0 for the red, white, and blue. 0-3-0 for the New Jersey Jackals. Ladies and gentlemen, your 2014 Can-Am League champions, the Rockland Boulders.
If you all remember that call that I played on my show three years ago, that was the Rockland Boulders winning the Can-Am Championship. And I remember racing in the house to record that last piece, you know, for my guest who's on the line right now, who I am proud to call a great broadcaster because I listen to a lot of his work in different sports. I am proud to call him a friend. I'm proud to call him a brother. And because of recent events thank, uh, with uh, he and his wife, Tammy, I am proud to call him a papa on the birth of his baby girl, Ella. This is my buddy, Seth Cantor, who's on the hotline right now. How are you doing, my friend? Snowman, I'm doing great. You are way too kind. I appreciate the compliments as always, and I feel the same way about you. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. I appreciate, I appreciate that. How's fatherhood so far? Fatherhood is so far so good. I'm learning to adapt with no sleep in my schedule at this point. <laughs> um, I'm probably at about four hours a night now. So a couple of weeks ago, I was probably at about an hour a night. Now I'm up to four, and I've kind of broken it up into about three different segments. Mm-hmm. You can't see the bags under my eyes right now, but she's worth it. And I'm enjoying every moment of it, although I will say the poor girl looks like me. I have a face made for radio, so hopefully she morphs into the mother. Hey, I... I completely understand about not getting any sleep, especially after my daughter was born. I got no sleep whatsoever. So if anybody completely understands, you're talking to them. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure we could have a whole other conversation about this. <laughs> this, is, this is one thing I want to I hit during our conversation. Now with you uh, becoming a father, how does that parlay into your balance of everything that you do and all the events that you do and all the running around that you have to do? I will say it's a challenge, but I'm very fortunate. I have a wife, Tammy, who is very, very supportive of my career. She's been with me since day one, Mm -hmm. and I think that's helpful as opposed to getting involved in a relationship where somebody might not have a sense of what your schedule is like. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's been with me you know, when I was kicking around in my old 85 Accord driving all over the <laughs> Northeast and getting paid $25, $50 for a Division three basketball game. She knows right. what I've been through. She knows what I go through. So I think I'm a little more selective now. I think I've learned, Brian, that it's okay to say no. Mm-hmm. But you just want to make sure that you're saying no to opportunities that aren't going to cost you an opportunity to advance, so to speak, if that makes sense. I've come, I've, I feel like I've been able to progress in my career by taking advantage of every opportunity that's come my way. I think it's how I've been able to ascend. So I think at the point where I am now, I can be a little more selective, but I still want to be as involved as I can. And, you know, obviously, obviously, it just, you know, I think communication is very important when you're involved in a relationship where a child comes into the picture. And I think communication about the schedule is important, whether it's sending a Google invite, whether it's sending an email, whether it's, you know, involving your spouse in you know, the lines of communication. You know, I just I want to make sure that my family is supportive of everything I do, and I think I'm very lucky in that regard. Man, that is that is so true, because after I lost my daughter two years ago, the, um, uh, the young lady, Sarah, was the first person there to offer condolences and now you know she's got a little boy austin who i'm who i'm involved with and making sure they're okay especially now since a uh, little man has a broken leg and i have to help nurse him through that but it's so true 
about communication, about when to say no, and that's one thing Sarah has taught me, when when to say no to assignments that are not going to fully uh, pay off in the end. And you've been with the Rockland Boulders since day one. Tell me what that process. Tell me what that process was like, especially on the night in 2014 when y'all won the Can Am League Championship. Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, Brian, the theme of my career has been persistence more than anything else. You know, obviously, you know, with the Boulders, I knew it was an opportunity that would make sense for me because I grew up in this area and I was looking for a change. My full-time circumstances back in 2010, I was hired here. In 2011, and being able to call a championship at any level, I don't care if it's high school, I don't care right. if it's Division three in college, Division one, um, or you know, professional baseball like this. Championships don't come around too often, and having the chance to actually call a championship uh, meant a lot to me. And I actually was fortunate to call two championship games in the span of about six months because you had the Boulders win in September of 2014. Then St. Francis Brooklyn came so close right? Um, in in the following, I think it was the following, following March. March. Yeah. So, following you know, March. that was a special opportunity. But, you know, I would say, Brian, you know, on a larger scale, I think the theme of my career, whether it's the Rockland Boulders or being able to get this fortunate opportunity with CBS Radio or wherever I've been, St. Francis, has been persistence in keeping the lines of communication open with people and doing networking and and not burning any bridges along the way and kind of using the rejection that you endure along the way as fuel to get better. And, you know, I decided a couple of years back when I wasn't really going where I wanted to in this career, I kind of needed to reinvent myself, and I started working with a sports broadcasting coach. Uh, you know, He's my agent. He's a sports broadcasting coach, and his name is David Brody, and I highly recommend him. And, you know, while I've had to put in the work, I definitely give him a lot of credit because he's been a constructive year that I've had over the course of the last two years, and he's helped me market myself, and he's helped me get better. I work with him twice a month, and, you know, to me, I just, I've had to reevaluate my career and decide that I really want to take steps forward, and just being persistent, and like I said, not being afraid to hear some constructive criticism from people that know the business. I think that's very important. And that is very important because I've heard some criticism myself in the past couple of years you know, on how I can get better doing play-by-play, doing voiceovers and, and everything. I've had uh, people help me, and anyone who is familiar with David Brody, I recommend him myself. I'm going to reach out to him myself, you know, and just launch myself back back into the game. But this is one question I know I've asked you before, especially now with with uh, 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 with basketball. For all you young broadcasters, I want you all to pay attention to this. When you get ready for several games within a week and basketball can be that several games within a week how do you sit down and prepare for the and prepare for those games and what kind of consistent and persistent pattern do you use to get yourself ready well i'll it off by saying the right word, preparation. You know, I'm not a big believer in getting on a broadcast and winging it. The most uncomfortable I am, Brian, and we've all been there as broadcasters, when you have about five or six opportunities in the week, whether you know, you're doing updates or whether you're traveling to a football game at mm-hmm. this time of year in the fall or you know, covering a basketball game the following day. I got a situation this weekend coming up where I'm doing sidelines for Penn Cornell in Philadelphia. Then you know, I'll do that in a day, come from northern New Jersey, go to Philly, come back, and then the next afternoon about 1 o'clock I got a St. Francis basketball game. So, you know, <laughs> I think the main thing is you got to stay ahead of it. Yep. So it's yep. The time is an investment in yourself, and you never know who's listening. Um, you know, I believe it was Don Mattingly or Joe DiMaggio, one of the two. Maybe it was both of them that once said, you know, I never knew 
who's going to be watching me for the first time, so I owe it to that person to give my best effort. So I think staying ahead of it is very, very important. And it just it comes down to research, obviously. I mean, mm-hmm. just you know, the way the industry has changed since I started back in 1999 at Ithaca College doing this and what's available to you now. I mean, the fact that you have all these different video platforms and mm-hmm. you know, all the schools basically stream their games by way of video now it definitely helps you memorize players. And that's, I think, an underestimated part of all this. It really is. Uh, you know, going through your research and game boards. But I try not to overload with statistics, I think, as important as it is to have those statistics in sports like basketball, I also think it's important to be a storyteller in a yes. sport like baseball where you're spending time with these guys and connecting with them. It's really a full-time job unto itself aside from the three hours that you're spending broadcasting a game. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I learned that on my recent trip to Tennessee in August when I broadcast for the uh, National Urban Professional Baseball League, and their league is going to launch in 2018 and Seth you're so right when it comes to baseball you have to tell the story you have to have uh you have to let the people know about the players on the field and off the field and telling that kind of story and one of the greatest at it of course Vin Scully you know that is the most important thing to let the fans know about the players that you're listening to well I read his book years back and what I liked most about him and yes the descriptiveness <clears throat> Excuse me, I think separated him from everybody. You know, you feel like you're there. But the one thing that I loved about Vince Scully, Brian, was the fact that he was never bigger than the game. And he kind of let the emotion and the energy of the ballpark and the venue, you know, penetrate through the broadcast and you felt like you were there. And I think that's an underestimated or, you know, less thought of thing today. I think everybody's so caught up in excitement mm-hmm. and, you know, the big moments and, you know, capturing the energy through your voice and actually calling it. You know, basically uh, through the energy and excitement that you want to convey in the air. But I think the great broadcasters, and Scully was terrific at this, you know, it's okay at a big moment. And this is why I like Joe Buck so much, and I think people kind of knock Joe Buck Mm -hmm. uh, because they think that, I don't know, they think he has a bias against New York. I think he calls an objective game where he has a bias against your team. But, you know, he kind of lets the big moments breathe and the energy and the essence of the crowd basically – you know, it comes through the broadcast, and I think the great broadcasters are the ones that do that. And definitely, you know, Vince Scully did that for decades, and I think Joe Buck does that too. And and there are plenty of other guys. I think Howie Rose on the radio here in New York City doing the Mets games is terrific, also. And Gary Cohen was always good at that. So those mm-hmm. are the guys that I really like. Yeah, and I've taken in the last four years, I've taken a lot a lot of listens to uh, Howie Rose and Gary Cohen. Uh, Cohen, the television voice of the Mets. Howie Rose, the radio voice of the Mets. He teams with. Uh, Josh Lewitt, and you're so right. They let the crowd tell the story of of what's going on. You can hear the excitement in their voices, but you know there's a background story to it, and those are two of the best at letting the crowd tell you what's going on. Yeah, no question. I think I think that's just as critical as being descriptive because, you know, to me there's nothing worse than listening to a big exciting moment and it's tough because you're let's say at a venue of seventy five, eighty thousand people and mm-hmm. you're calling a game and your team, you know, scores a touchdown to win the game at the last second or hits a field goal at the last second and you know, the temptation is for the color guy, you know, to get excited. You hear that a lot on college broadcasts and you hear yeah. that a lot on NFL broadcasts, and the temptation is to overpower it and scream, and that's kind of what I used to do. But, you know, through David and just through listening to other broadcasters, um, I've I've really learned that it's okay to pull back in those moments, and I actually, I've gone back and I've listened to the differences my broadcast over the last couple of years and what I used to do, and you really notice it, and it actually, you know, it makes for a more effective, passionate broadcast in my mind. It really does. 
And I've had to learn that from uh, the two Marist Miracles I had in 2012 and then the two championship games with Marquette Catholic in 2014 and uh, 2015. You know, and, and it's it's something that I've, I've learned as well, and I hope other young broadcasters learn how and not just how to pull back, but when to pull back and let the crowd tell uh, tell the story of, of, of what's going on. You and I both have done championship games, and, and like you said, my friend, the temptation is to just overpower it and let the people know how excited you are, but the team is just as excited, and that excitement needs to feed through. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. And you know what? I learned a long time ago that the broadcast, it's not about you. There are people out there. Mm-hmm. It's a tough industry to break into, Brian. Don't it get is. me wrong. But there are people out there that are fighting, scratching, and clawing to you know get it and do the jobs that we do. And, you know, I've learned that if you do make it about you, I think you walk a dangerous line and a slippery slope. And, you know, I think if you use it as a platform to promote yourself, I think there's a way to market yourself. But if you make the broadcast about you, I think you're getting into dangerous territory there. It's so true. So I really, it's a fine line that I take very, very seriously. It's a fine line I take very seriously as well because it's about the people that it's about the people that you broadcast, the student athletes or the athletes that you broadcast. It's about them because without them, there would be no us. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Seth Cantor joining me here, talking a little mic to mic, a little broadcasting shop. The proud new papa joins us via the HiQ Drink Hotline. HiQ, a sponsor of the Three and Out Radio Network, which syndicates Snowman in the morning. Seth Cantor, always a pleasure, my friend. I'm looking forward to your work this winter and another season of Boulder Baseball. I will be tuning in. All right, Brian, it's a pleasure. I know you've come a long way in your world, and I always enjoy. I'm a big fan of what you do, and keep up the great work. It's it's always fun chatting with you and digging into the industry because I know there's a lot of good things that we can discuss, and I appreciate the platform and the opportunity. I appreciate it. Thank you, Seth. Absolutely. Take care. This is Snowman in the Morning, where true sports talk lives. Next! Excuse me, bitch! Are you kidding me? What? Well... I've been waiting for this person to come back on my show for three years now because she's been busy as much as I. And I kept asking, and I'm joking, I'm, I'm kidding around as I say this. I kept asking her, hey, when can I get you back on the show? Oh, I don't know. I'm busy. Okay, I know I'm busy too because I keep an ignorant. Well, she knows. Listen, she's a good friend of mine. Kelsey Nelson on the other side of the hotline. Good morning, my dear. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You know you have to tell that story straight. I've been waiting to get back on the I know that. I know that. I know that. I know that. Like I said, I was kidding around when I was kidding around when I when I say that. Uh, good friend of mine, Kelsey Nelson. She's uh, she's got listening with K and N. You can hear that on uh, uh, Fox Sports Radio. Tell me how that show started, my dear. Sure. So I've always been into sports, right? I grew up a sports fan, played basketball, played volleyball. My dad went to Grandland State. I grew up all around sports. So I've always wanted to have my own show. And about a year ago, I kind of started conceptualizing, well, how can I make this into fruition? Because I feel like so many times, we all want to do stuff, but you got to put it into action, right? This is Any true. words you can say, but you got to put words into action. Hey, this is five years of my work doing Snowman in the Morning. So if anybody knows, you're talking <laughs> you to them. understand. You understand completely. So I was talking with my manager, and I told him, you know, said, you know, I, I feel like I have this following, I have a brand, but I want to make a show from it. And it's so funny because, of course, my name is Kelsey Nicole Nelson, so people mm. always call me K&N. Right. And it's something that's kind go. of been, you know, like really a nickname. Like I even have people I don't know 
call me Cannon, which can sometimes be scary. So I'm like, you people know my whole government name. Um, <laughs> and the whole listen in part is just because I want people to come join me. Like, mm-hmm. I have fun talking sports. As you see, I have a big personality. Yep. I know sports. I love sports. I have fun personalities. Join me each and every week. I was like, I, have, I know so many people in my network. Why not create a show and have them on each and every week? Mm-hmm. So I talked to my sports director at Fox Sports Radio, 1340 AM and 96.9 FM. And I told him, I said, I want my own show. He's like, basically, I've been waiting for you to come to me and say this because we want you to have your own show. <laughs> and next thing I know, I was working with my graphic artist, making a logo, um, you know, just making stuff to go out. And then I kind of just made my show. First, it was weekly, but then I had more demand. I had a lot of following and listeners. So then I started doing twice a week, and now I'm doing it three times a week. Basically, each and every week, you know, I welcome on different people. I've had the CIAA commissioner uh, come on. I'm going to have Ted Leonsis, who owns Monumental Sports, coming up. Uh, on my show, it's just just a fun show, but also I hope it brings attention to serious issues in sports mm-hmm. because for some reason I just feel like now people are realizing like sports they they make a huge difference. The, you know they yeah, kind of control the narrative of this country, which I think we're kind of seeing with the Colin Kaepernick situation. Oh yeah, it's always in the news. So we talk about serious issues. We talk about stuff that's trending. We find out stuff about sports stars that we probably didn't know. Mm-hmm. And always I always want somebody to learn something. Yes, it's fun. I always want somebody to leave my show saying they learned something from Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, folks, if you get a chance, please check out please check out her show. I had a chance to check out her interview with the CIAA commissioner. Absolutely wonderful interview. You've been around Thank sports. You. You've been around sports most of your life. Your dad's a tiger and went to went went to uh, went to Grambling went to Grambling State. State. Yep. <laughs> so you you know the Bayou Classics coming up Thanksgiving the weekend, okay? I oh my think gosh. I I'm still trying to find a way to get there. <laughs> Anybody that's familiar, listen. Anybody that's familiar with the Bayou Classic, it's played at the Superdome in New Orleans, except for 2005 when it was at uh, the Georgia Dome in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You're in the C. You're covering the CIAA. I got the SIAC on my back and following um, following Central State. I want to bring this up, and people need to understand how important is it for HBCU sports to get the mainstream coverage it's been lacking for years. Oh, my gosh. So I went to Maryland, George, so I did not go to an HBCU. But I've always knew the importance of them because my dad did go to one. I grew up around that culture mm-hmm. um, and that environment. And it's crazy to me that still to this day we don't get HBCU sports coverage. Just like no. the NCAA championship game, you talked about covering it. I had to go find the Aspire TV network, which was fine, but I think it needs to be broadcasted more where these sports were. I mean, I cover Howard games. And I know sometimes they have ESPN3 covering it and stuff like that, but you really have to search your remote usually to find these games. Yeah, and it's not TV. the same. But yet, it's not. It's, it's not the same with the. ES- it's not the same with the ESPN3 covering it. It's not. It's not. It, it's not, not the you same. You want to be on the main one, right? right. Can I, mean, I get it's a witness? Really bad. Can I? Can I get a witness? There's a chance I may do the. There's a chance I may do the SIAC uh, football championship. I'm waiting on them to mm-hmm. uh, get back to me. And if that's the case, I'm packing my family. We're going down to Alabama for a weekend to uh, nice. to, hey. knock, to knock that game out. <laughs> but be that be that as it may, it is so important for HBCUs, and I've spoken to my good friend Joshua yes. Jackson about this, who's the voice of Florida A&M, about mm-hmm. HBCUs getting the same kind of mainstream coverage because they don't exactly. get it. They absolutely don't get it. It's either right. in one sec it's either in one sector of television or it's completely dropped. See I remember when right. the Bayou Classic used to be played on NBC television on Saturday on a yeah. on Saturday afternoon. And I looked forward to that, right? You turn right to channel four and you could watch the whole game and that exposed so many people who did not know the HBCO culture exactly. to the game. Because mm-hmm. of course we know the game but we also know halftime, right? When it comes Battle to the, of the bands. schools. And Battle. that's such an important 
important aspect for people to learn who did not go it to sure HBCUs, is. because I think that's how the country gets stronger together. We learn mm -hmm. about different cultures. We learn about different people, but you can't do that if we're not exposing it on TV. Let's not forget, we've had some great stars come from HBCU schools. Oh, yeah. Um, hello, the Washington Redskins have one Doug of the sidelines right now, Mr. Doug Williams, Doug Williams in the front office. <laughs> so let's, I mean, let's remember there are so many great stars that come from these schools. Why aren't they getting the same coverage? Let's treat all schools the same because, honestly, HBCUs get the coverage that women's sports get in this country, and that's kind of oh, don't get me started. Little. Oh, Which don't get bad. me don't, don't get me started, started. on sports either. Don't get me, don't get me started <laughs> it's, because it's I get a lot That's of. That's why my show. I want to get these people some attention. Yeah, it, and I'm glad you are also doing the same thing. You know what's uh, you know what's funny? I get laughed at a lot for loving women's basketball as much as I do. Let me tell you all a story, and I've told this before in the early um, early run of my show. I've loved women's basketball mm -hmm. since I saw my first championship game at the Scope in Norfolk, Virginia, when CBS had the television coverage in 1982. I've been in love with women's sports okay. since. But it was me watching Rebecca Lobo in Connecticut that really did uh, it for me yes. in 1995 when they won the title at the Target Center in Minnesota. I, look, I was done for. I was done for in 82, when, in 82, 83, and 84 when I saw, oh, I don't know, Cheryl Miller for USC. Do her thing. Uh, right. Rebecca so Lobo for stars. uh Rebecca Lobo for Connecticut. Uh Cheryl Swoops for um uh Texas Tech do do her thing. Yep. I've seen them all. We need to see more. As a matter of fact, there's a dear friend of mine who is playing basketball overseas. Her name is Shanice Jenkins. She played basketball at Whitney Young and was a star of stars at DePaul University. And Ooh, when she was voted the biggies, and I told her family she would be voted the biggies player of the year before her time was done, her senior year. Guess what happened? She was voted the biggies player of the year. So there are some people, <laughs> there are you. some women that play sports and play them well. Exactly. And I don't know why it's 2017. I always have to tell myself that and people are still just finding this out. Let me tell you something. You go to a women's college basketball game or even a WNBA game, you're going to see actual team basketball. We actually, you know, everybody gets the ball. Everyone's working together to get that basket. Thank you. And it's a great atmosphere. It's a great experience. And let me tell you, a lot of the women don't also, no offense to the guys, they don't have those big egos either. They don't. They're great people to they talk really to. Don't. Yeah, They'll I, come up to you, sign your shoes, whatever, because they just really enjoy the game, enjoy the people, enjoy the atmosphere. And like you said, you're seeing some great players. I grew up watching Elena uh, Beard and Coco Miller back mm -hmm. when it was the MCI Center. Oh, yeah. Formerly known as the Capital One Center. Now, um, <laughs> sorry, formerly known as the Verizon Center. Now Verizon known Center, as the yeah. Capital One Center. Mm -hmm. I grew up seeing these stars. I mean, I went to the University of Maryland. Let's talk about women who. There you go. Great stars went to the University there you go. of Maryland. So that's what I grew up surrounded by. So mm -hmm. people need to give them some attention and some love, women and HBCU sports, because all these sports matter. And let's say there's great athletes coming out of all these sports. But not even just great athletes, great people, because some of these people, of course, go on to different careers other than sports, but that, that's what makes our society stronger as a whole. I had a chance to cover the Chicago Sky for the better part of five seasons, and I'll tell you what, every home game was loud at All-State Arena. Yes. Okay? Especially that is great. The go ahead, year, Chicago. <laughs> especially, the, especially the year they got to the WNBA Finals. You want to talk about downtown Chicago being on its ear? <laughs> that was the case. Wow. That just lets you know. I mean, luckily, my Washington Mystics got a great player from your Chicago Sky, Elena Deladon. Elena Deladon. If you want to talk about right. great basketball, go oh, to yeah. EDD, post <laughs> up in the paint and make baskets on the perimeter. Like, she does it all. So I'm like, yes, it's, she does. it's bad, but it's time. I mean, we uh, so many people have daughters. You have a woman in your family somehow, your mom, your sister, your cousin, mm -hmm. whatever. Tell these girls some love. I mean, nowadays, 
women, we see women kind of doing the same sports too as men. You see more football stories. We see women oh, yeah. kickers. We mm-hmm. see women coaching in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Like these girls are playing sports and might even end up playing with the boys or coaching them. Oh They're yeah. The same attention and the same love because honestly, if you go to a a college men hoops game, yes, it's a great atmosphere. It's fun, but the women hoops game can be just as fun if people showed up. That's what it all comes yeah, down to. You get the same quality say, basketball. Can you say Gamble Pavilion in stores, Connecticut, for many years? Oh, can you my say God. Thompson yes. Bowling Arena in Knoxville, Tennessee, under the late great Pat Summit? Okay. Oh my gosh, yeah, just great <laughs> basketball, and those fans show up. And I will say, even in uh, Minnesota, oh, yeah. I mean the the fans show up, and even in Phoenix, I know. Like, the fans will show up in some areas, but it needs to be all across the board. It needs to be across the board, absolutely. And a lot of that comes with, A, the promotion, and B, the coverage. Because I can tell you, there were many nights, there were many nights when I was covering the Chicago Sky, there would be only three or four different um, media outlets, including myself, being there. So it's like, okay, yep. we get the whole we get the whole place to ourselves. But when this coverage started coming out, especially in 2014, when the sky got all the way to the finals, yeah, you want to talk about some people right. crawling out of the woodwork? Where the yeah, hell were you? People the, wanted to show up. Where, right? where the hell were you at the top of the season when 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 attendance wasn't that great? Exactly. Part one and part two, Ryan. the sky were trying to find out who they were. It's like when you win the lotto, right? First, people are kind of distant. You win the lotto, all of a sudden, everybody wants to be your friend and in your face, right? That's yeah. what WNBA sports are seeing, because I agree. When I cover the Washington Mystics, you can kind of do anything. You've seen anywhere. it. All the big networks yep. are there. It's the same people. Yep. But go to a Wizards game, you know, you have media sitting in the 400 level just to cover this team. Mm-hmm. But let's do the same thing for the women's teams, because these women teams are playing quality basketball. Indeed they are. People need to recognize, like you said, it goes back to coverage. You can't have fans if people can't see it. Exactly. It's simple. And going it's back simple. to the HBCUs, it's the, it's the same thing. Now, I'm willing to bet you the Celebration Bowl is going to be played in Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz yes. Stadium. If the coverage is correct. The new stadium. Yep, Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. They will host the Celebration Bowl. They will also host the SEC Football Championship. I'm willing to bet you yes. if the promo is done the right way, the Celebration Bowl can draw about the same, if not more, than the SEC Championship. But, again, it goes back, and it's something you and I have talked about before many times, my dear. It yep. goes back to the promotion of the game, period. Right. Right. I mean, that's what it said. I mean, the SEC Championship, yes. But right, I see it in my face all the time, every commercial, right, on mm-hmm. ESPN. I'm going to want to go to the game, like you said, because it's constantly there. Exactly. The Celebration Bowl, it's a great experience. Mm-hmm. You have great football going on, and let's not remember, I mean, who doesn't want to go down to Atlanta? Let's be for exactly. real. It's at, it's exactly. It's Atlanta. It's Atlanta. Exactly, and it's in a brand new shiny stadium. Yep. Um, hello, like it doesn't get better than that. <laughs> I mean, it just, it's literally, you have all the pieces of the puzzle. Yep. You now have to throw it in people's faces. And you brought up one point I want to bring up real quick. I also think for HBCU sports to excel, we have to stop seeing these cancellations of bowl games. Yes. Um, I know the nation's classic here was canceled. I know people are talking about the Celebration Bowl. Um, same thing. It's like, but how, I mean, how are we supposed to cheer on these sports if the bowl games we know that the sports need, you know, aren't getting the coverage and attention and then end up getting canceled? Because then these players don't have that you know, premier platform to play on, which then goes back to hurting recruiting mm-hmm. for these HBCU schools. And it's, it, it hurts recruiting. It hurts enrollment. Let's go all the way enrollment there. Enrollment, too, yes. <laughs> it's a trickle-down effect. Let's go I mean, all the way there. Down effect. Because it, when your schools, you know, on this platform, like when Grambling State University won the Celebration Bowl, you know I had to bring that up, Brian. Mm-hmm. It helps enrollment, right? It's in it everybody's does. face. Everyone sees it. Let's not forget it was a good game, but right. 
Then people are like, you know, hold on, let me go look up Grambling State University. My people I want to go to. Exactly. I like to have the bands with them at the halftime. I like the fans. Like, mm-hmm. maybe it's somewhere I want to go. But you take those bowls off these networks, then they're not getting that attention. And, of course, as we know from the NCAA March Madness tournament, Whoever wins that tournament, their enrollment numbers skyrocket. They go through the roof. Skyrocket. Like, you can see, I'm sure they, they're admissions counselors. I hope they got paid extra because I know it was crazy trying to deal with all those admissions uh, applications they were getting. But that's the same attention the HBCU schools need because you're still getting a quality education, mm-hmm. probably for a better price, too. Yeah. But then also, I mean, let's talk about the culture aspect. It's so good to be surrounded, you know, by people that look like you that, you know, for some people, it's a comfort thing, but then also, I mean, yeah. it's the great stuff you get. You have these great professors. You have great stuff going on. You have great academics. I mean, it's kind of a win-win situation for it me. So I really don't get why. Yeah, it, we're not seeing more comfort. I'll tell you what. A few years ago, my good buddy Chris Hooks covered the uh, North Carolina Central Eagles. When they won okay. the MEAC tournament and got mm-hmm. that spot in the NCAA tournament, boy, you talk about North Carolina going upside down. But it helped. It, it really, it, it it really helped their enrollment. It really helped draw interest to North Carolina Central. So, right. as you said, and it's hard to do that. Think it about is. it when you're, you know, under the wings of big old UNC Chapel Hill. But if you get that attention, you get <laughs> yeah. that tournament, and guess what? People are looking like, hold up now, who's this team in the tournament? Exactly. So it gets exactly. you that attention. Uh, and I tell you what, when he when, when when he was doing the games, I was a faithful listener. My buddy Chris Hooks had me, had me a fan of North Carolina Central, and I still pay attention to them to this day. Don't get me wrong, but at the at the same time, it 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 once again it goes back. We got a couple minutes left. It goes back to what we're talking about: getting the right people in place to cover them. I mentioned my buddy Joshua Jackson, who's the voice of uh, Florida A&M. Mm-hmm. It's the it's getting the right people in place to cover the right HBCU events right, that will bring all the too. attention. Yeah, it is. I'm telling you, I mean, for all those people listening, I would love to, you know, get that opportunity, of course, to cover the games. Because like you said, I think you have to get people that are experienced, but also that have a passion for HBCU sports and will give it the same, uh, you know, preparation and background that they do other sports. Absolutely. Like you said, I mean, if you have the right talent in place, right? Mm -hmm. Like we know when we watch NFL games, you know, the main sideline reporters. You know, we have Pam Oliver, we have Aaron Andrews, we Mm -hmm. have Salters. And, you know, we have these great people in the booth. Um... It just goes back to Gus Johnson and people. Gus you know, you Johnson, just want yep. the right talent because sometimes if I like that person, guess what? I'm going to watch that game. I love listening to Gus Johnson because you don't know what he's going to You know what? I've been, brings you in. You know what's funny? I've been compared to Gus Johnson when people hear Uh-oh. some of my play-by-play calls. <laughs> I consider that an honor. Because that's an honor. I'm like, Gus hey, is one of my, doing something right. Gus is one, <laughs> Gus is one of my all-time favorites, and anyone who has listened to my, my basketball games knows my favorite of all time is the late, great Jim Durham when he covered the Bulls for many, yes. many years. And yes. I still, yes. I mean, and I so still listen to I still listen to clips of Jim Durham to this day. Okay? I still, I can't, I, I can't help it. I told. No, um, I can't do it like him. <laughs> I told I, I, I told my I told my fiance when she started listening to me, she said she said, Who is that? I said, That's Jim Durham. I said, That's the reason I got into broadcasting in the first place and she just put her arms around me go. and she said, Go with it. All right, she's not that big a sports fan yet, but she's been hanging around me. But she said, go she's with it. She's turning into one. <laughs> Listen, she rode with me to Indianapolis to cover the Circle City Classic. Does that tell you anything? <laughs> That just lets you know, believe, because, I mean, that's what it's all about. And that's why I love sports. 
and I always tell people to think about it. You don't have to be a sports fan, but somehow sports always connects people of different, you know, backgrounds, religions, creed, uh, you know, wealth status and class. It connects like, everybody. It's so many things. Sexuality. It brings us all together. It really does. That's why when we're there, we want to make sure the game is presented right. Yes. Because sports <laughs> has such a huge hold over culture and kind of how this nation and really how the world moves forward. Because so many events, sports has had some type of impact on. It really does. It really does, and it continues to have an impact to this day. That's Kelsey Nelson. You can catch her on Listen In with KNN. Tell everybody where they can find you, my dear. Sure thing. So everyone can listen in with KNN on Fox Sports Radio, 1340 AM and 96.9 FM. They can also download my show on iTunes and Google Play, and then the show can also be found online at foxsports1340am.com. And also on social media, follow me at the Real K Nelson. That's how you find her, folks. She's a good friend of mine, and I hope to have you on more and more and more, my dear. Thank you very much for joining me. Thanks so much. It was a blast. Have a great show. This is Snowman in the Morning, where true sports talk lives. Next! What? Are you kidding me? You You know what? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Alright, let's get let's get after it. Six minutes after the second hour, let's talk some college football and Chris Dietz is on the line for Dietz's college football chat. What up? Hey, what's going on, snowman? Alright, I begin with this very simple question. What in the vital blue, yellow bellied, red blooded hell happened this weekend? What happened is college football happened. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, anybody who's followed college football knows any day, if it's not your day and you don't show up, you can get beat. And that's what happened to Georgia. That's what happened to Notre Dame. <laughs> and uh, uh, Notre, Dame, Notre Dame just looked outclassed. And, and Notre Dame, they, they uh, look, Notre Dame's out. And they ain't coming back. <laughs> That that was pretty much the fork in them, and that was the fork in a lot of teams. A lot of teams, a lot of teams were riding on hoping that Notre Dame wouldn't lose to Miami, and that they would lose to somebody else along the way. Because now Miami is in a strong a stronger position. Mm-hmm. Oh my! But the hurricane, the hurricanes looked the hurricanes looked legit. They answered every question. They sure did. Everything everybody's been saying about them, oh, they they they're they, suspect on defense. They don't blow teams out. They, well, they, they did both those things. Shoot, they blew out Notre Dame. That should be enough. Catholics versus con- Catholics versus convicts. My ass. No, Miami looked good. Period. Well, see, that's where that's where I say Miami looked like the convicts because they were take, they were picking they were taking everything from from uh, Winbush. They were oh, taking every man. every pass they were taking it they were taking it from them. Yeah, five turnovers I believe they forced. Let's go over the top four right now. One through four: Alabama, Clemson, Miami, and Oklahoma. On the outside looking in, Wisconsin at ten and zero, Auburn and Georgia, and I'm praying. Um, we'll get we'll get to our games in just a moment. What else do you take from this past weekend of madness? Um, the thing I the thing I took from this weekend was that brand or from the polls that I saw is that brand names play. Yeah. 
And that that's what the I think that's what the committee told us this, this with this poll because somehow and somehow Alabama stayed at the top despite playing exactly like Miami has played all year. Yes. And the committee has said, oh, we don't we don't respect Miami because they win close games. Alabama did not lead that football game until there was 26 seconds left in the game. And somehow they remain number one. And and they remain untouched. Clemson has exactly the same schedule as as Miami, except they have Auburn and Miami has Notre Dame. You could you could you could cancel both those out. Mm-hmm. Except Clemson lost to Syracuse. Miami beat Syracuse, but they put Clemson over Miami. Yeah, figure that so out. That's my take and. On my show, on my show tonight, we're gonna we're gonna try to get into what the committee is telling us about Miami and about Oklahoma. What do you What do you think the committee that's what is? I think they did. What do you think the committee is telling us about Miami and Oklahoma? What do you think they're telling us? I think what they're telling you is what they're telling you is we want the, we want the brand names. We want the brand names at the top of our poll, and we're not gonna budge. We're not going to budge unless they lose, um, because there's no there's no better offense in the country than Oklahoma. Right. They just beat they just beat the number six team and absolutely cleaned the floor with them. And offensively, they couldn't they, they didn't, I don't think they got stopped once. They didn't. If that if that game was still playing, they would have put they would still be scoring right now. And not and not have to punt once. There's your million dollar question: Who's Oklahoma's punter? Because he didn't see the field. Yeah. Oh baby. So that's that's what they that's what they said with this poll. They said, hey, we don't care that you could score a million points. We want the brand names that are gonna that that can play play a whole game, play defense and offense. But I'll take that Oklahoma offense against anybody if they can put up 60 points. I mean. I want to see, you know, it would be fun seeing Oklahoma and Alabama in a semifinal and make that semifinal well, what, in New Orleans. That's where they're slotted right now. I want that semifinal in New Orleans, and I have a very selfish reason for that. Three years ago, these two teams played in the Sugar Bowl, and Oklahoma whipped Alabama. Period. That they did. I remember that game. <laughs> even even when Alabama got to within seven, even when they got to within seven, a strip sack and a fumble put the game away. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I remember the I remember that Sugar Bowl. Alabama was supposed to be the was supposed to go in and roll over them, and Oklahoma cleaned them. Now there is an undefeated team, a side of Wisconsin. That will never see the light of day in the top four, and I think they should. And that team is oh, they, the University of Central Florida, the Knights. Yeah, the committee hates Central. They they, they hate the prospect of Central Florida, and <laughs> I have no idea why. I have I I have I when I when I do my when I do my show prep, yeah. I do I make my poll out on Sunday after I've watched all the games. I make my poll, and then I then I, I try to compare it with what 
the committee has done. Because I've got, got Central Florida, I've got Central Florida in my top ten, and they've got them down at like seventeen or sixteen 15, or something uh, like that. The, 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 the college, That's crazy. The college football playoff has them at fifteen, and you have Notre Dame, Ohio State, Penn State, Southern California, who should be knocked the hell out anyway. Texas Christian, Oklahoma State, Washington State, all in front of Central Florida. What's the common denominator with the teams in front of Central Florida? They've all lost twice. And Central and Central Florida has wins. They have good wins. They have wins over over good teams in their conference. Mm-hmm. They, they beat Memphis and they beat them up pretty good. And Memphis is in the polls, so yep. I, I don't understand what the, what the committee is thinking with UCF. You know something? It could be a situation that Central Florida got in the BCS a few years ago, played in the, I want to say the Fiesta Bowl, if I remember correctly, against they, Oklahoma State. They played against, uh, didn't, yeah, they played Oklahoma State, played uh, o- Justin Blackman. They played, o- they played Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl. You know, here's something I want to ask. Why does the committee not like teams that are undefeated like Central Florida? Because I had a chance to see Central Florida play in person when at when they played at the University of Cincinnati. I'm going to tell you something. Mackenzie uh, McKinnon for Central Florida, he is the truth. I like this kid. Mackenzie Milton is his name. I beg your pardon. Mackenzie Milton is something to be reckoned with, and he's only a sophomore. Yeah, Scott Frost, is, Scott Frost has done a great job, and, I mean, he probably won't be there next year, but no. if he, if he stays, they've, they've got a, a real shot at being, uh, at being there next year, but I don't know why, they, I don't know why the committee doesn't like doesn't like winning. They, they don't like teams. They don't like smaller comp, smaller conference teams that win. They 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 just don't. And I don't know what I don't know what that is. It's probably it's probably like everything else. Probably money. But UCF should be should be there. And UCF has a game against South Florida coming up. Exactly. Which which. Should be a, a big stepping stone for them, mm-hmm. but it it probably won't it probably won't matter. They'll, st- they'll probably still be behind some two loss team and probably I... behind a three loss team. Yeah, and the up. next the next team behind the next team that's uh, behind Central Florida has three losses, and if I'm correct, that is Michigan State. Why are they in the? <sighs> if you want to put the best team, if you want to put the best teams in. Okay, you. Uh, I, I got that wrong. Mississippi State, then Michigan State are both behind Central Florida. Central Florida is nine and zero, and they're at fifteen. Wisconsin's ten and zero, and they're at five. What is wrong with this picture? Uh, you, you put those. You put the schedules together. UCF has played a harder schedule than Wisconsin. Than Wisconsin. That's the difference. Oh, brother. And and I don't understand. I don't. But the only thing is, Wisconsin's in the Big Ten. UCF is not, and they don't. They don't want anybody crashing their party. Yeah, but it's still not fair. It is still not uh, fair. It, 
I didn't say it was fair. Like I said, right. I have them at 10. I have them at 10 right now, and they've got them at 15. So I have no idea how they're evaluating UCF. I can't explain that one. I and I can say if they beat UCF, if, they, if UCF beats South Florida and they finish the whole season undefeated, it's I'll have them in my top, probably my top six depending on what happens with the other teams, but that's just me. I don't think the committee will ever get them into the top ten. You know who went through this before, just a couple of years ago? Western Michigan. They went through the exact same thing. That was last year. That was last year, thank you. They went through the exact same thing. They beat everybody on their schedule. P.J. Flex said it best, and he was a little pissed off, and I don't blame him. They beat everybody on their schedule. Why aren't they allowed in the party when they ran the table? So we had we had that debate we had of me and my co-host discussed expanding the playoff. It should have been oh, expanded at the limit. top. At there the has top to be like if you go undefeated, if you go to a smaller conference, if you go on, if you go undefeated and you play enough, but yet. You have to qualify it to big te- big time teams. Like you can't just keep you can't just pull. None of these big schools yeah, will give them a game and make them look silly. You think that's what they? You think that's what they expect if they let them in for a big school to just make them look silly? Oh yeah. Oh yeah! If you nobody, nobody wants to bring a team like UCF into their building. No big time team wants to bring them in and lose. Yeah. Ever since we had that, ever since we had that Appalachian State beating Michigan, in Michigan, nobody wants that. Nobody, no big school wants that embarrassment of losing team outside of the Power Five. Right. They just don't want that. And, and I mean, this is what college football is. You're paying that team to come. That's, that's basically how it works. <laughs> yeah. Just ask, just ask LSU and nobody, play Troy. And nobody's going to go. Nobody's going to go to play. You're not going to get Florida because they're going to say. That doesn't make any sense. We don't get anything out of going in there and beating you. They're, they want to go play Oklahoma. They want to go big-time school so they can get on ESPN, be, be, get all that money. Big problem in college football with this with the system. Yeah, I agree. With schedule. But that's that's an off season. That's an off season, like a whole retooling on how to how to figure that out. We'll never we'll never do that. They will never they'll never say we're gonna take this small team, put them against a big team, and put it on eight o'clock game. That's never gonna happen. No, it isn't. Until that happens, we we'll we'll always have we'll have these arguments for. Um, as far as, as long as I'm alive and probably years after I'm dead. <laughs>
Yeah, I, I believe that. 21 beyond the hour. Dietz's College Football Chat live here on Snowman in the Morning. All right, let's pick some games. And we start at the top of the list. The Minnesota Golden Gophers and my Northwestern Wildcats. I don't even have to tell you which way I'm leaning with this one. I've got North. I've got Northwestern. I thought they looked really good last week against Purdue. Their yeah. defense played really well. I, I, I'm going to take Northwestern in this one. You know what? I don't think Minnesota stands a chance. And it's at Ryan Field. Look, my buddy Michael Hogue said that he hopes NU gets mopped the last two games of the year. Uh, no, not going to happen. I am taking my Northwestern Wildcats confidently. To beat Minnesota. Let's stay in the Big Ten. We got the Purdue Boilermakers against the Iowa Hawkeyes. And just to piss well, my friend you know. off, just to piss my friend off again, I will not only take the Iowa Hawkeyes, I say the Iowa Hawkeyes beat him by at least 10 points. Well, if you listen to my, if you listen to my show and Trust me, I, if you're a college football fan, definitely get out there yep. and listen to my show. And yeah, I do. You know, you know, on, you know, on, on the fifth down, we support everything Iowa. Yep. And we're all in on Iowa. I think, I think that the defensive back Josh Jackson is the best in the country. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think Purdue with them throwing the ball, if they throw to his side of the field, it's going the other, it's going to go the other way. I believe it. And I think that I think that's going to happen a lot, and I think Iowa dominates this game. I think they do too. Kinnick Stadium will rock, and Iowa will win on Saturday. Here's an interesting one that he put on the list: the Mustangs of SMU versus the Tigers of Memphis. I'll let you go first. Memphis is Memphis is just uh, one of those silently strong teams. Mm-hmm. UCF. So. That's a very good team. I love the quarterback there. The quarterback, uh, him and I forget his name right now, but him and the wide receiver, they've been, they're both seniors, and they have a, a connection with each other that is unbelievable. So they're going to put up points. question is whether SMU can hang with them. I think, Mich- I think Memphis wins in a shootout. You know, and I, I think they take it by at least ten or fourteen shootout game. It'll be it'll be a shootout. It will be a shootout, and I expect Jacob Karam to light up the scoreboard. I too will take Memphis. Next one on the docket, and he I, I think Chris put this there to rile me up a little bit, and I'm kidding as I say that. UCF and Temple in Philadelphia. Really. <laughs> I only put I, I I only put it on there because a bit, when we're talking schedule this week, this is the uh, this is the week of the SEC giving the middle finger to all college football fans because their teams are playing half their teams are playing FCS schools right <laughs> in late November. They do it every year. They do it. It pisses me off. It pisses everybody off. But you know, we gotta find teams. And I said, an undefeated. I said, an undefeated team. We gotta check them out. I think they. I think they're gonna roll over Temple. But but I had to put it in there because know. you know they're undefeated. So we gotta talk about them. Uh, Mackenzie Milton is the man. 
Alright? I love watching him play. I will I will make a stat prediction. Mackenzie Milton, I think, will hang four hundred on Temple. Uh, I, I I wouldn't disagree with that, and I, I don't think Scott Frost will call off the dogs. No, he shouldn't call off the dogs. He's got to make statements now. He shouldn't call off the dogs. I will roll with the Knights. Now you got this one, the Battle of Los Angeles. The UCLA Bruins and the USC Trojans in a year in which the Pac-12 will not be represented in the playoff. I'm sorry about this, y'all. I don't care for Sam Darnold and USC. Haven't cared for them since the top of the season, and I don't care for them now. I will take the Bruins. In the beginning of the season, I said I thought this game would come would be for the Pac-12 title, and I said UCLA would win it. I don't think that anymore. <laughs> quit on Jim Moore. I think they quit on Jim Moore. I think Jim Moore knows he's out the door. This is a game that pretty much kicks him out. I've, I've, I've kicked him. I've fired him the last three weeks on my show. I've said, why don't they? I said, they should just fire him at halftime of every <laughs> game that I've seen for the last three weeks. Amazingly, <laughs> he's still there the next week. So I think Sam Darnold is going to be the one that, where UCLA finally says, yeah, we can't live with this <laughs> we gotta move on. Uh, let's stay in the Pac-12. Utah and Washington. I thought one way. I originally thought Washington. Now I ain't so sure. I usually have one upset during my college football picks. I will make this. I will make this my one ups. I will make this my upset call. I'm calling for Utah to win. In Seattle. I want I want to believe Utah can win after watching them against Washington State last week. Mm-hmm. I'm not as I'm not as cons- I'm not as positive on them being able to beat Washington. I mean, Washington did didn't play well either, but I think Washington still has something to play for while Utah doesn't. So. Yeah, <laughs> that could be the, the that could be the kicker for them. Yeah, and one thing is, if you're watching this game, <laughs> you see there, Chris. If they, if they kick the ball out of bounds, Utah's got a shot. But if they let that kid return a punt, it's going back to the house. <laughs> Oh lordy! All right, we got a couple more to look like look at. Oh, dog on it! Before we get the heck out of here, and one of them is in the Ivy League. That's our that's our last one. Virginia at Miami. Do you sleep on Miami again, considering what happened last weekend? I don't think I don't think this team has a letdown. And, no. And I think they've done. I think the turnover chain comes out a whole lot. Not really that good, and they throw the ball to the other team. So Miami's good at taking it away. I think Miami rolls. You know what? This is from my buddy Donnie Moore, who's a big-time Miami fan. 
And I have to say it, considering how they played last weekend, it is indeed all about the U, and it's at Joe Robbie Stadium. Miami will roll. All right. We got a border war. Michigan and Wisconsin from Camp Randall Stadium. I so want to pick. I so want to pick Michigan for this game, just just to see what would <laughs> you know what would happen. Yes. <laughs> but I just don't trust. I don't. I just don't trust Jim Harbaugh in a big game until I see him. Until I see his team pull out a big game, I'm, I'm gonna ride with the other team. Johnson, keep rolling. And this is the last big test they have, but. Able to do it, and they do it pretty convincingly. This is why I wish Northwestern would have had more time to come back in Camp Randall Stadium. Wisconsin won that game 33-24. Be so much more to play for for the Wildcats. And yes, I'm being selfish, and I can't help it. I want to. I want Michigan to win, but I've got two problems. One is Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I can't stand Michigan. I can't do it. I gotta roll with Wisconsin. I gotta go with the Badgers. And the last one that we have on our list is the game. And anyone that's familiar the with the game knows I'm talking Harvard and Yale in the Yale Bowl. Oh hell. You first. You want me to go first? I want you to go first. All right. Well, being a Connecticut guy myself, <laughs> and I'm actually like right down the street from from the Yale Bowl right now, and I've actually played nice. in the Yale Bowl when I was in high school. Nice. <laughs> but that, all that being said. Yale is the better team right now. If they win this game, they win the Ivy League, they're going to beat up on Harvard. I have no doubt, but I know, you know this is a rivalry game. Yes. It's one of the oldest rivalries. Yep. You know it's going to be a tough game. Oh, it's going to be hell. I expect Yale, I expect Yale to come out on top. Oh, it's going to be hell. You know it's going to be hell. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be hell. You know it's going to be hell. But I gotta go with the home team. I gotta go with I gotta go with Yale in the in the Yale Bowl. And like you said, if they win, they win the Ivy League. And that is our college football chat for this Wednesday. Did we sort out the chaos? Uh, no. Did we have fun talking about it? Hell yeah! That's why we talk it every Wednesday. Christie's yeah. for Dietz's College Football Chat every Wednesday at 10.05 a.m. on Snowman in the Morning. You can check us out here and check out the replay during the podcast. Chris, thank you very much. Now go back to Woik. Thanks, man.